0: The year of the bombing, I think that was 95, I became a trustee at the First Methodist Church. They had a very young pastor at that time named Craig Rochelle. And Craig had a vibrant young married youth group. It was going very well. The First Methodist is right next to the bombing site. Easter Sunday was that Sunday, I believe the bombing was Tuesday or Wednesday. and. Methodist Church became the morgue, like totally sealed off, totally taken over by the rescue people. It wasn't uninhabitable for two years. That was in April the 19th. By June or July, people started milling roads, see them all the time, and you saw all the teddy bears. I just called it a vision or what. I just kind of thought we need to have some type of outdoor shelter for people to worship. And the architect drew it up. And our church people raised a third of the money. And I had this dear friend responsible for all the money that had come in through the Jewish Federation. And he agreed to match our contribution to this chapel. And when that got some publicity, we had a dear friend that you, that most people in Oklahoma City would know, Nazi Zudi. And he wanted to match it because he and I had talked many times about his his muslim faith so that chapel was built and dedicated around the fourth of july right after the bombing and there's just been incredible things that have happened through that chapel this
1: is the third act podcast shining a spotlight on individuals charities and small business owners suffering from illness economic shutdown or lack of support and funding meaningful conversations that generate compassion and financial support from listeners compelled to join us on this journey to improve the lives of others.
0: I'm gonna dance with a stranger, I'm gonna
1: enjoy your show, I'm gonna learn to forgive and really let it go, and most of all I wanna shine a light on good and look to give back And that's what I'll do with my third, third act. And now your host, Roger Steed. Thank you for joining us on our third podcast for the third act this year. I have been pleased with the response and the encouragement I have received. The ability to have an up-close and personal conversation with a guest that has a compelling story extremely helpful. I knew I wanted to start off with great guests that would immediately have interesting stories to tell. The contributions that Kimber and Ellen have made with their specialties certainly hit the mark. Uh, One of the benefits of having a life-altering illness like COVID is that you quickly realize that any inhibitions I may have had before COVID regarding expressing my feelings or doing something like the third act are totally useless. And there is a sense of liberation that has encouraged and energized me to expand my vision with both old and new friends, encouraging me along this journey. One old friend from our hometown of Shawnee, Oklahoma, emailed me several times as I was writing the initial newsletters, uh, focused on people doing good works, with very kind notes of encouragement. We had not seen or talked to each other in over 40 years. I promise we will not bore you with too many old stories about our early days in Shawnee, but I think everyone will find it interesting how life's challenges and transitions influenced our lives. Today, John Waldo is my guest, and I was thrilled that when he agreed to do the podcast with me several weeks ago, John, along with several other Shawnee alumni, uh, went to the University of Oklahoma and joined the Beta Theta Pi fraternity. While I have known John from our high school days, my interest in attending OU and becoming a beta really stemmed from my and our mutual friendship with Richard Baptist. John reminded me today that this is Richard's uh, birthday, so happy birthday, Batai, Richard, big guy. Hope you're having a good one. And I have to, because of that little reminder from John, I had to tell a short Richard Baptist story. This remains truly so vivid in my mind. When my family moved across town in Shawnee when I was in the fourth grade, literally the first day we moved into a new house, there was a knock on the door, and it was Richard. He said something to the effect, Hi, I'm Richard. I live across the street. Would you like to come over and play some wiffle ball in my backyard? Without a beat, we became fast friends and have been friends ever since. Richard remains an awesome friend. John also reminded me that he started dating one of my childhood friends, Marcia Dinkins, who he started dating in 1970 when she was 15 years old. I don't think we want to overthink that little fact too much so we might get John in trouble, but Marcia also decided to come to, to OU after high school and she joined the Theta Sorority. They married in 1974 and have two children, Jack and Emily. After college, John worked at Bank of Oklahoma as a tax specialist and joined Leo Oppenheim in 1986 as the CFO. Following a management buyout and Bank of Oklahoma financial acquisition, he became the chief operating officer and worked to expand their operations in Arkansas, New Mexico, and Texas. Over a 10-year period from 1988 to 2018, he has worked on several economic development projects in, in struggling Oklahoma cities, and those include the Noble Foundation in Ardmore and the Oklahoma University Medical Children's Cancer Center. He has also been working to help struggling businesses throughout his financial career, and he has also found time to spend organizing, assisting, and helping churches in many different uh, denominations either get back on their feet or find financial support following devastating developments. One of the major events that we'll talk about in more depth in a second that shaped his life was the Murray Federal Building bombing in April 1995. I will get that. Get that into that a little bit more as the um, discussion continues. With that, John, I want to say thank you. Thank you for coming on the podcast. I know you're doing this uh, recording from Colorado, where the air is clear and the mountains surround you. Welcome to the call.
0: Thank you so much, Roger. And I echo birthday greetings to Baptist. There are several guys that were fraternity brothers in Shawnee, you, Jim Bowles and Baptist, and Larry Dinkins. And you had the best-looking sisters. They all became thetas. So Carolyn and Ann Baptist, and Susan Bowles, and Marcia Dinkins, and Marguerite. That's quite a little community. I just can't encourage you enough. What you're doing in the third act is absolutely awesome. It reminds me of Clark Millsball. I roomed with Clark, and at that time, both Clark and I were really working on our testimonies. There are some incidents that Neither one of us could ever be a Supreme Court uh, nominee, I don't think, now. Clark was in between, in years, between Roger and me that OU with us, and we closed every chapter meeting at that time uh, with these words that Paul gave to the Philippians. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are good report, If there be any virtue and there be any praise, think on these things. And that was a flippant. We didn't really do a lot of Bible study then. But as we became older, it becomes very important, especially in these times. And Clark read the next verse. Those things which ye have learned, received, heard, and seen me do, you do, and the God of peace shall be with you. And that was really Clark's life. He, during our years raising kids, he went to Tulsa and became very successful, sold his business in 2006. He, he was actually putting things in practice and he was volunteering in the west side of Tulsa. I think they have five public housing units over there at that time and fell in love with these kids over at this uh, Emerson School. He realized when the kids couldn't were stealing, uh, really didn't have food to eat. What they call a food island. So Clark and ten of his buddies pay five hundred thousand dollars and buy a building and turn the building primarily into a grocery store and and a kitchen and started teaching kids uh, and families in that area how to buy food and how to cook. He got involved in what they call. Global Gardens, where the kids in this public school had gardens. Let me back up. He and I independently got involved in a mission called Halftime. Bob Buford is the guy that started it down in Dallas. He helps people like Roger and me and Clark determine our strengths. And through that ministry, Clark and I reconnected. Unfortunately, Clark passed away in 2013 of leukemia. Marcy and I are taking some couples over to Clark's funeral, which was huge at the First Methodist Church in Tulsa. And I said, hey, before we go, we got some time. Let me show you where Clark's mission was. I figured it would be all closed down for his funeral. but When we drove by, we found some young girls in there cooking, baking a birthday cake for their mother. (laughs) And you and I think that's, we can, that's not that big a deal. But if you think about it, that mother may have never had a birthday cake. The kids were so pumped that they had the ability and the oven and, and, and they had the teachers. There was a lot of chefs that would work with them. I was so impressed as we're going to a funeral when we see Clark's mission was, even during the funeral, was ongoing. And it all gets back to that second part of the Philippians verse, and that is, just do what you see me do, and you'll have the peace of God. And Clark truly had the peace of God in that whole situation. just really appreciated his life and the example that he always gave to us.
1: Absolutely. And um, I'll tell the uh, listeners that um, on the uh, newsletter next week, I will include the uh, YouTube video you kindly sent me of Clark talking about His uh, involvement with Halftime and his transition himself from moving from the energy business to his uh, ministry, if you call it that, in Tulsa with the new community center and what he did with that and how it turned his life around. I think that's uh, a great YouTube, and I'm happy to uh, put that on the newsletter. I thought, if you don't mind, if you could just spend a little bit more time on the Halftime Institute, the, the institution itself. The reason being, I've talked to many close friends over the past month who have set similar interests that you and I do in helping others, but they don't have the spark or the inspiration or the encouragement to do whatever they think their strengths are and what they're calling is to do it, to take the next step. So talk a little bit about the Institute, what you took away from it, how much it meant to you, and how, how possibly you're still using it today,
0: if you don't mind. Sure. Roger, we find or, or I've found in the last 10 or 15 years that there are m- many people like us that are looking for to move from what some call from uh, success to significance. That is moving from a business life to, to making their life something of, of more of a significance. Of significance, and this happened, and it was a really wasn't a dissimilar event at all to your event in that happened at Grand Lake. But a guy named Bob Buford, who was a wealthy West East Texas guy, had a life changing event with his son. He was a very successful TV guy, owning cable stations uh, back in the '80s, and he was real involved with Peter Drucker. They use a thing called Strength Finders, which I sure many of your listeners know what it is. It's owned by Gallup now. It was the Peter Drucker influence on Buford and on Halftime that says, concentrate on your strength. They help you find your strengths and they network people together. So I can call them anytime and it's more than likely they will be able to say there's someone in Louisville, Kentucky doing a similar situation. Right. So it, it just helps people identify what their strengths are and what their Ephesians mission in life should be. So if someone wants to con- contact them and talk to
1: someone like Rhonda, you've provided me the, her email address and phone number. Can, do you feel comfortable? Can I provide that on the newsletter next week? We put this podcast on there.
0: Please provide it. Uh, she's connected. She is enthusiastic. There's different similar programs throughout the United States, so it would be dependent upon where a person is. For example, in Oklahoma City, we have a man who was an OU guy, older than us, uh, named Bruce Stover, and Bruce, God has put on his heart this similar type of mission, and Bruce has started something called Fourth Quarter that that meets in, in Oklahoma City of people that have been generally successful in business or public world trying to network together to make their community better. I had a question yesterday about the
1: fourth quarter. So if you don't mind, if you could forward the uh, whatever, if you have any connecting information or that name again and phone number, then I'll put that also on the website next week.
0: We will will do that. Okay,
1: great. Concluding on uh, both Clark's, of course, we want to – uh, remember Anne, his wife, and ongoing um, efforts to make the rest of her life as great as she can possibly be. Certainly, want to remember her as we go forward.
0: Anne was an inter- is was an integral part of, of it was really the mill spot as Anne and Clark's ministry. They would host halftime couple events in in Tulsa. Both of us would go to help in understanding each other as we have these new missions. Great, it's nice to do it as a couple. You know. Yeah,
1: if, if I'm sure, Marsha's gene is they're uh, they're the better half anyway. They bring something to the party for sure. If you don't mind, I'd like to uh, shift the discussion a little bit to your involvement at First Methodist in Oklahoma City and the both the before and following uh, sort of aftermath of the mural Building Federal Building bombing, Travis.
0: Sure. Falling back just a minute on, yep. on the strength finders. My strength is I'm an organizer. I'm a networker by, by DNA. It, it was purely a God-driven group effort in this post-bombing issue. But it is an interesting story. In 1982, the Methodists had a guy named Nick Harris, who was not a traditional Methodist. I'll tell that story in a minute. But he came to First Methodist Church. Marsha and I would drive downtown on a Sunday morning and go to an old newsstand f- for me to get a New York Times. And we drove by this Methodist church, and we saw people coming out with Bibles. we we'll go, man, this is weird. Normally, Methodists, you know, what we're familiar with, didn't really carry a lot of Bibles into their service. And it c- come, turns out that Nick, the pastor, is an absolutely terrific Bible teacher. We became infatuated with him and what he was doing and started attending there. Then the year of the bombing, I think that was 95, I became a trustee at the First Methodist Church. They had a very young pastor at that time named Craig Rochelle. And Craig had a vibrant young married youth group. It was going very well. The First Methodist is right next to the bombing site. Easter Sunday was that Sunday, I I believe the bombing was Tuesday or Wednesday, and the Methodist Church became the morgue, like totally sealed off, totally taken over by the rescue people. It wasn't uninhabitable for two years. That was in April the 19th. By June or July, people started milling roads, see them all the time, and you saw all the teddy bears. We just call it a vision or what? I just kind of thought we need to have some type of outdoor shelter for people to worship. And architect drew it up, and our church people raised a third of the money. And I had this dear friend responsible for all the money that had come in through the Jewish Federation, and he agreed to match our contribution to this chapel. And when that got some publicity, we had a dear friend. That you, that most people in Oklahoma City would know Nazi Zudi. And he wanted to match it because he and I had talked many times about his, his Muslim faith. So that chapel was built and dedicated around the 4th of July, right after the bombing. And there's just been incredible things that have happened through that chapel. When I look back on it, I see things like the bombing. I see things like 9-11. I see things like COVID, like you're experiencing. It's a disturbance to our, what we think is a peaceful life. What I've seen from there spiritually is there's a lot of good that happens. Associate pastor that I referenced we had then, Craig Rochelle. He, from that experience, he opens life churches, which one is one of the top church, top churches, mega churches, I guess you call them in the United States. He also his church invented this thing called you version it's different versions of the Bible that all these kids have on and me have on their on their iPads the other part of this bombing that I mentioned is that there are about six churches in downtown Oklahoma City and we had huge uninsured losses because insurance would not cover to bring these old buildings up to ADA it was through the city of Oklahoma City that was extremely supportive, and Tom Cole and the Clinton administration that got national rules changed to where FEMA money could go to churches. Great.
1: We're going to be running a little bit close on time, but I wanted to just spend a little bit of the final moment on your Jim Everest scholarship uh, efforts and what you've done there with Bob Stoops, the uh, Oklahoma football coach. Okay.
0: In 1993, Marcia met a a really special kid named – Peyton Johnson. And Peyton Johnson, as I think you'll include the video, back in those days, the mortality rates were not good. But what has happened is these kids survive. Their parents don't have money for scholarships for higher education. And Peyton was our first guy that really ended up being a, a medical doctor. And there are huge needs for higher for scholarship money. Fifty of us got together and ended up sponsoring a scholarship and we we're going to put it in Bob Stoops's name because Bob Stoops has just done incredible work at the Jimmy Everest Center which was which is our children's cancer center. Bob when we went to Coach Stoops he said, "Yeah, I'll sure do that, but it needs to be the Stoops Everest scholarship because Jim Everest and Christy Everest had been doing so much to honor their son who was who lost his battle to cancer. So anyway, we get together and my pals get together and we say, hey, Stoops, we can do the standard golf tournament. And everybody said, I'll give you more money if I don't have to go play golf for a day or two. Yeah, right, right,
1: right. <laughs> and,
0: and we don't want, and we all have our pictures with Stoops on the 14th tee box or whatever it is. And so we ended up with just, an extremely cost-effective little dinner, and we've done it for two or three years, and raised money for these scholarships. Our plan was in uh, May to have an event down at the locker room at OU, and COVID has uh, prevented us from doing that, and so we're short on money this year, but Hopefully we can we can get some donations and get the word out on this.
1: I am going to put the, uh, the video of Peyton Johnson on the uh, newsletter next week so our listeners can uh, listen to that. It's very enlightening and very, I don't know, inc- encouraging from the standpoint of a recipient of a scholarship and how appreciative he is of getting financial help and is uh, giving back through his medical profession. In conclusion, I would say that with the scholarship program, John, if you have a date planned, please let me know. I'll make our listeners aware of that and our readers, and we'll try to get some support uh, for any sort of scholarship drive you may have in the future. So let's try to do that.
0: we Will do, Roger. I just can't tell you how much this thing means, the third act. You add a lot of benefit to all of these missions that you followed, and it, it's really going to be terrific. One quick deal about Peyton. Peyton, when he was a kid, like seven or eight, he wanted to make some money to help his mom buy some Christmas gifts. So he made these bookmarks. We, Our company bought them and gave them out as uh, holiday gifts. And then 20 years later, literally 20 years later, I'm in Dorothy Haney's nursing home room and in her Bible, says yeah. never, never give up. And what you're doing is a similar deal. She could remember this. She does. She can't have a GoFundMe receipt as a bookmark. It needs to be something personal, and that's what you're doing, is you're providing something personal for people to to, to grab a hold of and remember by.
1: I appreciate that. We'll continue to uh, try to grow the community. One of the reasons I wanted to uh, have you on as a guest, and it's uh, true from the heart. I hope that we can expand our little effort uh, throughout Oklahoma and get more of our friends and connections involved and so we can do greater good for Oklahomans and people throughout the south Southwest. So thank you again for coming on. I hope you're enjoying Colorado. Take care. Okay. Thank you for listening to the Third Act Podcast. To find out more about who we are spotlighting, how to get involved, or find show notes on today's episode, go to wearethirdact.com.
0: Learn to forget and really let it go. And most of all, I want to shine a
1: light on good and look to give back. And that's what I'll do
0: with my third. third.